This is the Nerds Adulting Podcast, a show by nerds for everyone. If you would like to know more, please go to our website, nerdsadulting.com, or you can follow me on Twitch, Instagram, or Twitter at pistolpete underscore nap. If you would like to support the pod, please check out our Patreon where donators can get t-shirts, pins, or stickers. Also, don't forget to join the Discord to join our awesome community of nerds. Check the description for all the links. Kevin, how are you? Nice hat. Good. <laughs> um, well, how are you guys doing? Very good, very good. Good, good. It's super excited. So I know we've been talking back and forth on LinkedIn. Um, as you know, we're recording now. A little bit about the show, if you haven't really researched it. We're very chill. We're very sarcastic. We're, we curse. So if you curse, it's perfectly fine. And I usually go back and edit stuff out after the fact. So if you say something, whatever, just let me know. We just like to have fun. And uh, we are big nerds and... The PlayStation era was huge for me because I was in high school during all this, and so and I loved the stories that happened in the background because I felt like back then we really didn't get a whole lot of that. And so exploring yeah. these topics are super interesting. I think other people find them interesting. And Real Kill to me was something that was just so different. In a lot of ways, in my opinion, sort of like groundbreaking because like, of the boundaries that were being pushed at the time or that, that you all were trying to push. And so I just love, I just really wanted to find out more because I don't, I mean, I don't know, I can Google it all day, but I don't know if that stuff is true. Like, I don't know if it's Wikipedia is true. So I want to hear from you, you know? Gotcha. All right. Fair enough. So we have serious questions here. We're just going to jump right in if you're, you're cool with that. All right. So the first question that I have for you, I ask this for everyone that comes on our show, no matter who they are. And the question is, were you a nerd growing up or a geek? Did you have any hobbies and interests, D&D, collection, sort of like what were you into? Were you a nerd as a kid growing up? I would I would consider myself a nerd. I um I started with uh, you know the Atari 2600 kind of was my first gaming system. So it was it was one of those things that opened my eyes to, you know, oh here's here's something I could be into. And my my parents were pretty cool about allowing video games to happen on a regular basis as long as it was you know in moderation so so yes i am i would consider myself a nerd growing up from the 2600 kind of through everything my very first job was working at babbage's uh which was i think it was bought by electronics boutique one of the, one of them kind of acquired it gamestop maybe mm-hmm. i don't i don't remember how the process went but babbage's was my first real uh job um so you know it was like day the day i turned 16 16 i was there Here's my application. Um, <laughs> I was the kid you guys babysat when my mom would go in the mall. She would drop me off at Babbage's and I would look at all the computer games that I would never get to play. So I was yeah. that kid that you were. Yeah, I think I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was me just sitting on, on the floor reading magazines. Now, so. Listen, as as uh, as 16 year old kids, we also appreciated it. We like to uh, we like to be the knowledgeable ones, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's sort of it's funny you mentioned that because Josh and I we both worked. I actually worked at it was a software etc which was a babbage's at one point which then turned into gamestop while i was there so that was like one of my first retail jobs so maybe that was the pro maybe that was the process was it 
I think it was, got bought by software, et cetera, that got by, by GameStop or well, however it went. <laughs> yeah. There was some sort of lineage there. Of, yeah. Of it's funny because I actually found an interview you did for another podcast and I listened to it because I, I like mm. to research our guests before you come on. You, I heard you mentioned you worked at Beverages. I was like, man, we could totally relate <laughs> relate to that. You know, I, I worked at GameStop for like four or five years. Josh, he worked at GameStop. So I thought that was really cool. Oh, uh, Renum. Yeah. Yes. Did you? Did you collect anything uh, when you were a kid? Did you like comics or anything? You know, my brother was the uh, comic guy at the time. I would say, you know, I definitely had a video game collection. That was where I spent most of my money. Also, I would say baseball cards and or, uh, you know, garbage pill kid cards. Um, I remember those. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, you know, it's funny. I, I took those down from my attic. I still have like the first 13 series complete <laughs> wow. and i was looking on ebay and i'm like oh my gosh they're actually are valuable i didn't think they would help i have any value but yeah so i was more the you know video games and cards my, my brother was the comic book guy and i would i would occasionally read his stuff but for me it was it was i, I like getting the actual experience you know from the, from the game rather than kind of living the stories i'm actually way more into comic books now at my age than i ever was as a kid so i, can uh, totally I, say really comic books, I, I tend to be more on the I don't know, like the image and, uh, you know, the come more, more of the adult themed stories, graphic novels, if you were, well, uh, but comic books were never like huge as a kid for me. So, yeah, I always tell the story about comics when I was a kid was I never, uh, I never, I couldn't get into one comic and I could never finish it because the next issue never came in or I couldn't find the next issue. So I really, it really, I'm like you. I'm really big into comics now because I can just get it on my iPad and I can read whatever I want. I don't have to go to the comic book store. I I talked to a purist at a con and he was not happy about that. But right, um, (laughs) you know, it's funny. I got it was so into digital comics that I tried uh, to to start back up and follow all these series and buy the issues every month, and it got so overwhelming that I was like, I can't, I can't do this. You know, it's not, (laughs) it's not the same. I'm going, I'm going to debt. I'm going into debt. (laughs) It really was. Every time I'd walk in there, the comic book guy would be like, I held all these aside. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway. Yeah, I think it gets so bad. I actually like, double tap the comic book itself. I like, try to like zoom in on something like, oh, wait, this is, this is getting bad now. But, uh, yep. but yeah, no, that, that's all. I totally relate. 2600 was my first console. A little bit. I'm 38. So that was like right at the I was very, very young. So Commodore 64, the 2600 yes. really kind of like led me to Nintendo. My parents were very supportive of, of that. It's probably why I'm addicted to games now. But um, yes. But yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, the Atari yeah. wasn't the one for me. For me, it was definitely the uh, the Nintendo, the NES, the first one. But well, uh, honestly, hey, we all we all have our starting points. I'm a little bit younger than Peter. I'm eight years younger, so I'm thirty. Okay. Just turned thirty this year, so I don't have the same experiences, but I have the same the passion. Well, we <laughs> there, have the same yeah. experiences, which is it's what makes our what I love about our, our discussions is we're eight years apart, but we're close enough where we share the same experiences, but it's just different for us. And so that's why I like right, the conversations right. that we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm an additional eight years older than you, Peter. I'm 46. So oh, okay. maybe that'll uh, <laughs> be a, just a slightly, you know, older skewed. That's a perfect um, gap. Yeah. No, that's yeah. I can, I can, you're, 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 we can relate to a lot of stuff yet. There are some things that are a little different. I, I like to look at nerdiness. It doesn't matter. It spawns all ages. You can be nerdy about anything. So Absolutely. Yeah. As long as there's a fixated interest, then I can say, I can consider you a nerd. You can be nerdy with makeup. That's what I tell my wife all the time. Yeah, you you're, you're a makeup nerd. Makeup. Yep, that's, Absolutely. That's definitely my, my, my wife now. <laughs> the clothes nerd, yeah. <laughs> I can totally relate to that too. So Kevin, moving along, right? Before you got into video games, and we know the focus is on 
through a kill yep. enormously for the episode. But overall, right, before you got into video games, what was your career or your background like before? I mean, we know you worked at Babbage's, but how did you get into that realm? You know what I mean? Sure. Well, th- honestly, that was exactly it. Babbage's was my uh, stepping stone into meeting individuals that ultimately would get me into the career. There were, were local guys uh, that worked for a company called Malibu Interactive. They were part of Malibu Comics at the time. That were uh, they would come in, they'd frequent the store, they'd you know weekly get whatever games were coming out, and uh, we you know we just became friends with them. And my buddy that worked with me at Babbage's before me got a a job there testing video games, and um, he did it kind of on you know at the same time he was working at Babbage's, and it eventually was kind of one of those things he's started doing full time, and then he, and then he encouraged me to come on board uh, eventually and you know I was like well I guess I could try it and I, I did that was kind of the beginning of, of everything and at the time uh, it was obviously very different from uh, even your guys experience or uh, you probably were already in a, a, a schooling system where they even offered some sort of like video game theory or uh, you know programming that was specifically targeted towards video games but back then there wasn't anything because you know video games were not considered uh, a viable career so right <laughs> I said it's interesting that you mentioned that because so i graduated in 2001 so you may be familiar with a game called mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh <laughs> so there was a there's a school there it's called the art institute and they would always come down because i grew up right outside of chicago they would come down to us and they present to us and they had they actually had just started a video game curriculum and that was like their selling point was ed boone and john tobias you know went to our school and mortal Kombat. you know like they they created it here sort of thing and so they just as soon as i was getting out of high school they had just started rolling out these these programs that was like so new yep. so it's interesting you said that because i was thinking about that i didn't have schools back then you know like no and it was i mean to be honest it's you know uh little bit of luck you know obviously that i was just at the right spot at the right time and i was always taught by my parents that i had to be uh, highly motivated and work hard to be successful and so when i got the opportunity to kind of test these games it was it it was more than that for me i I didn't you know the guys i was testing games with were like this is rad we can go spend our money on video games you know i was more like well how can i how can i do other things like you know, I wasn't artistic. I, I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, drawing pixelated graphics that looked good. And I wasn't obviously super strong at math uh, per se in that I could just start programming a video game myself. So uh, I had to figure that out. And honestly, I um, I got a job. I From that, I got a job where I was working again, kind of initially as a tester for a, it was a spinoff from that company. And they were very small Back in that day, a programmer and an artist could do a you know a game. This is pre PlayStation One. They could probably do a game by themselves if it was a smaller type game, and and they didn't have to have production. It was not that was not a thing. the The programmer would deal with talking to the publisher and say like, oh, "Here's our invoice, pay us." You know, whatever it was, they would keep their own schedule. But as the as that new era came on came on, where you know these games were going to start getting bigger uh, and the platforms were were capable of, of, of doing so much more, the teams had to get bigger. And in, in turn, you had these openings that all of a sudden were like, what are we going to do? Who's going to manage this thing? And uh, that is really where like the producers, the production departments came about. And uh, a lot of us that were in that testing 
uh, you know, keep we'll call it quality assurance at the time. <laughs> yeah. They were kind of ripe for the pickings because they were familiar enough with the process. Hey, there's a problem with this video game. We're going to go talk to the programmer. We're going to figure it out. We're going to show them how to repeat it. We're going to now go retest the next build. We're going to we're going to do the burn ourselves onto the EPROMs. You know, it, it was the whole process was there. It was understandable. And uh, so now we just had to step up, kind of get on a little bit bigger bigger pants, and and actually create schedules and keep keep this team of guys now, maybe like two or three programmers, two or three artists, a couple of designers, you had to keep them on, you know, in, in you know, communicating together and, and figuring stuff out. So it kind of just happened. And uh, nowadays, obviously you can't just go like, Hey, I like video games. So I want to be your producer. And they're like, Hey, come on board. You know, it, it just <laughs> doesn't work like that. And so, so I was lucky. Uh, the, the time was different. And, uh, but, but, but at the same time, I took that opportunity and I made sure that I wasn't going to uh, uh, ruin it. So I did my I did my best to to obviously it worked out. Anyway, so long story short, that's that is basically how I got into gaming. It was it was from testing. Seems like it was a lot of trial by fire, like figuring it out as you went. Because like you said, it's not like now where you just can approach a company and be like, "Hey, I want to be your producer." They want a background. They want an education. Yep. I'm not trying to say you're uneducated. <laughs> no, it, no, but but at the time, it's funny. At the time, I didn't I didn't go to college. I, you know, we're talking about Babbage's. I started there at 16. I was there, you know, through the end of high school, and all of a sudden, it's like you want to you want to test video games 40 hours a week, 40 plus. I mean, you know, nothing nothing was ever 40 hours a week in video games at that time, and it was like, uh, yeah, like I'll put off, you know, yeah. I'll put off going to college. I, I, you know, at the time, I probably thought it was inevitable that I was going to just make a little bit of money and then have to go to college, but I didn't at the time. And so I started taking night classes and stuff just to make sure I wasn't going to let my, uh, everything, you know, fall, fall to the side, but ultimately it wasn't required back then. And so, <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to, that, that is also a personal battle I had with, you know, there's some, there's some guys at the time that programmers specifically highly educated guys that you didn't go to four years plus two years and, you know, and it's like, well, I'm still, I'm still capable to do this job. So what do you need me to do? You know? And it's just, it's proving yourself more than showing that you have that certificate. So. I mean, I, I can totally respect that. It's still an indication of how different time was back then mm -hmm. in the sense that now you have colleges that offer video yes. game, like coding and video game programs when back then that wasn't really that big. Right. So just your, your coding know-how or your artistic know-how, and get just a, a certain sense of direction of where you think you want to go and how you're going to manipulate the, 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 the education that you do have to create this product. What, yeah. a, what, a, what a wild time. Like I said, <laughs> you know, I'm fortunate to have lived through that time where, you know, we were transitioning from Super Nintendo Genesis into PlayStation because I, I really feel like if it was like a year or two earlier, I would have seen the writing on the wall and said, yeah, look, I'm not an artist. I'm not a programmer. So I'm going to, I need to get, I need to get myself to a college because I can't, I can't waste, right. waste my life away playing, you know, testing games for $6 an hour or whatever it was at the time. Right. But um, <laughs> yeah, minimum wage uh, back then. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's really interesting though, because I talked to Rob Fulop who worked on Night Trap and he yeah. was like, oh yeah, I banged out a couple games like, on Atari 2600. He's like, yeah, bang, we banged out a couple games here every, every few years. I worked on this game and it was, he was just talking about like himself. Like I worked on these games. It's just, crazy how times have changed when it comes to game design and creation when on atari it was just one dude making a game to now you have 
billions, <sighs> millions, billions of dollars invested in just one game. And it makes sense that the, as things become more profitable and companies invest more money, they're going to want to see more structure in producers and directors. So it's oh, for sure. So it's it is yeah, it's basically like a movie, teams. movie or TV show to me now. It's, it's like on that on that level. Yeah, and I've actually I've been out of the industry now for a while. It doesn't feel <laughs> as long as it's been, but um, you know, my the last game I actually was in the trenches producing was uh, uh, Tony Hawk's American Wasteland, and you know, you're talking about I was the the kind of the top level producer on that project, and I was responsible ultimately for about eighty people. Like, you know, there was other producers that were obviously assisting in schedules for different departments and et cetera, et cetera. But like from going from, you know, a six person team to, to 80 people, it's, it, it's, it's a huge difference. And, and now 80 probably seems like a small team for some of these, even these triple A games, I would, I would imagine. So. And people are doing amazing stuff though. You can, I've seen, like I played Kena recently on PS5 and that game was beautiful. And I think only like 15 people worked on that game. It's just, and it's an amazing game. But anyways, wait, okay. I'm the one that plays moderator on our, on our podcast. We always go mm-hmm. on tangents. So that's normal. But anyways, you mentioned, okay, <laughs> back to Thrill Kill. That's what we wanted to talk about. I'm glad you brought up okay. Tony Hawk. Cause I also wanted to hit on some of the other things that you worked on later on because okay. obviously you, I mean, <laughs> we're going to talk about like this canceled game. Like this is, you're not known for a cancel game. You're known for Tony Hawk and, and and other stuff. So, but anyways, you mentioned Earth Monsters, and I really want to know, like, how did you? What was the beginning of Thrill Kill, and how did you wind up working on this game? How yeah, that sure. So ultimately, we Earth Monsters was a kind of a license that never was, if you will. Um, there was there was a, a company that was really shopping around this this idea that these that the Mayan culture has this game they, they used to play called Puck to Puck. It's like this, uh, this hard ball that they would actually put through a hoop. I mean, it, you know, it's very similar to sports that we watch and play now, right? But they, you know, created very colorful, fancy characters uh, and had names. And, and it was kind of like a, it, I feel like they were going after the same audience as like uh, Mighty, Mor- Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and, hmm. you know, that kind of thing where you, you kind of had this, you know, de- very vibrant characters of all very specific, like here, this is the blue character and this is the green character. And Virgin Interactive came to us and said, Hey, we, we are acquiring the license for the video game rights to this. They're also producing a cartoon and there's going to be a toy line. And uh, we want you to do the, you know, a game based on this. And so you're going to have to create a 3d engine and you're going to have to come up with the design and concepts. And so it, like that's basically the beginning of what will ultimately be thrill kill slash Wu-Tang Shaolin style, the engine that we created. Uh, because again, this is, this is the first time that we're working on that generation, the PlayStation one. And it, it, we didn't have anything to start with. There wasn't a lot of third party tools that you could go, Oh, okay, let's just grab this 3d engine and start designing a game. You had to come up with everything from, from scratch. Yeah, there yeah, weren't any no like, development engine. kits or anything like that. <laughs> Unreal Engine. Yeah. No, yeah, no, there was no, there was no options, and you know, and obviously that's that's very frustrating. It takes a long time because you know you you're you're designing everything's on paper and you're designing it and you want to see things on screen, but you know the programmers are just start you know working feverishly to even get like a you know usually a flat polygon to like display on the screen. And you're like, oh, this is, okay, how long is this going to take? Um, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, long story short, Earth Monsters uh, obviously went away. You know, the license went away. It never came to fruition. 
But Virgin Interactive saw that, you know, we had developed this 3D engine and we were a, a, a team that they could see themselves working with. And so they didn't want to just go away and say, oh, sorry, it didn't work. You know, ho- hopefully you guys find something else to do. So they just said to us, hey, we're open. Come up with something. Come up with come up with an idea. And so at the time, speaking of you know, Mortal Kombat, you brought that up earlier. A lot of the guys on the team were into fighting games. We were like, hey, you know, there's not there's no 3D fighters yet at that time. You know, it was, it was just kind of like a you're fighting games for Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat, very much like on that that flat plane. We're like, why don't we create like a fighting game? And you know, the crazier concept along with that was what if we stuck four people in, a, in an arena and just went, went crazy? That is ultimately what it is. The, the fact that it got very violent and um, mature was, was kind of a combination of obviously a lot of young guys working on this project and Virgin Interactive and their production being very supportive of pushing boundaries. You know, it started out as a game called SM with the subtitle Slaughter and Mutilation. We actually presented it, one of the first E3s behind closed doors as SM. Um, so, kind of that was the first trickle of coverage that it got. The name obviously was, you know, we can all admit at it's even a little at, out there. <laughs> yeah, at the time, I mean, it was like, well, SM, yeah, let's, 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 let's think that over. And so we came up with Thrill Kill. We, we started to rebrand and we really started hitting strides on gameplay and mechanics and you know just the 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 whole vision of it the you know just the idea of these characters being so different and crazy and honestly that first e3 where we set up a booth and showed it it was kind of it was one of those things where we were like we don't know what's going to happen like this could be just a complete flop and people are like you know sticking their noses up and walking right past us to command and conquer or whatever we didn't know and um but surprisingly it was just like whoa like the response was just like wow this is the next big thing which ultimately you know hurt more than it helped because i mean now we're like oh okay we got another year to finish this and this is going to be this is going to be gangbusters this is going to really make our careers (laughs) am i am i I veering off course no 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 that's interesting because we always talk about like like with cyberpunk, what happened with cyberpunk, we talk about all the hype that gets built up on something. And then it kind mm-hmm. of maybe like you said, you were a smaller team. So it's like, man, maybe, maybe you bite off more than you can chew or the people have more expectations. I remember being a kid and reading that stuff in the magazines and just, I mean, my parents didn't care what I played, you know, like it, they were pretty cool about that. I could play Doom all I wanted. I played Mortal Kombat. And I remember I was really excited for this game. I was like, just because it was pushing boundaries that I'd never se- had never ever seen before in a game. Yeah. Before, you know, it's the violence and the the backstories, and it literally takes place in hell. And it's just like it was just sure. really out there. And I was really interested. It was I remember the hype surrounding that game. And then, well, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later. I just remember like, hey, whatever happened to that game? Like it didn't, it didn't yeah. come out because it wasn't like you get news on your phone now. Like you just you know immediately back then it was you had to wait for a magazine to come out. You had so. to wait. Yeah, you had to wait for the mag. And the magazines always had like a three month lead time. Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't even you know like oh this is breaking news. Like this is well this is now dated news. Yeah, but. yeah. Like it's like this is gonna turn into like a boomer talk. Back in my day, we we had <laughs> yeah, right, to no, open up sure. magazines. <laughs> <laughs> But see, but just real quick on that, the hype thing, I think for us, that hype that we got out of that first E3, the response really like ignited our passion to try to make that game as good as it can be. And I want to make a big point here because I think 
all the coverage around Thoreau obviously was around how the, you know, the content and how we were trying to like sell it based on just being over the top. And I, I, I want to say like the team was really, really dedicated to making that like play uh, like the best fighting game you could, you could play with, with four people in the ring. I know there's obviously there's challenges, massive challenges to making that fair and balanced, but our, our focus after that was not, Hey, let's make this as graphically disturbing and like over the top with sexual innuendo as possible. It was like, let's make this a viable fighting game. If we're going to compete with these other fighting games, we have to make this viable or it's going to be a one and one and done. And that was our focus. Now, Virgin's focus, they saw the writing on the wall and they were like, yep, we are going to totally play this up as much as we can as being like over the top, you know, putting graph like warning signs in front of an advertisement in magazines and stuff like that. I mean, you're, you know, they were really going for it. I actually, I actually have a question about the expos that you guys did. So you said you did the first one when it was named S&M. Behind behind closed doors at E3, right? Yes, yeah. And then you did the you, the one where you had the actual booth was in '98. Correct. Yeah, we had we had okay, hired so you had the, strippers. Yes, know. I. That's exactly what my question was. <laughs> you had people. You had people hired. I didn't believe it. I was like, "There's no way that's true. That's insane." So yeah. I heard that you had people scheduled to dress up as certain characters. And then they didn't show up. So, in order, oh my god! In order to make nice. it work, you had you had to go and hire <laughs> girls from a club. Yeah. Yes. So our the producer on the Virgin side, his name is Harvard uh, Bonin. He's he was uh, very much the one that kind of orchestrated that side of it. And uh, Belladonna, which was that main you know, female character on, on right. Kill. She, you know, she was she had a few different outfits, but one of her outfits was very much a scantily clad black bondage-ish outfit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the outfit that they put this poor girl in. Um, but she was awesome. And I don't mean like physically like awesome. I, right, she right. was like such a good person and like really played it up. She realized when she got there, she's like, oh, this I can put on my like acting skills now and just go with it. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> do it. So she really helped. I, I don't, I don't remember her name or, you know, I, I wish I kind of did just be like, Hey, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> that would yeah, yeah, that would be a great conversation to have. Like, Hey, remember back then? Like what a, what a wild time, man. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. That, that is I got, awesome. I got to say though, I don't think we were the, only uh, company to ever hire strippers for uh, for the booths. No, no, that's what's crazy. I remember being a kid, and like nowadays, you couldn't do that. Like, there's no way you could do anything like that nowadays. But like back then, it was very like br- I felt like from what I could gather, reading magazines and seeing pictures and stuff, it felt very bro-ish, culture-ish at the time at those expos. Mm-hmm. And I I remember being so I worked at GameStop and I was a manager. They had a woman for dead or alive, scantily clad, dressed. And someone complained, and then she had to like cover up, and so it was kind of like I remember, I felt like I was like right in the middle of the transition of like what's okay. Um, well, and that's going to tie into the cancellation conversation, so we can get to that. Next up, right, is what was the plan or the vision of the game originally? How how like when it comes to the shock value and and controversy, were you trying to do that on purpose to try and get exposition? You know what I mean, or were did that kind of happen organically? I mean, I want to say, so again, like, I think the team, the internal team that was developing the game, that wasn't 
the focus. That wasn't the primary focus. However, we all were, were on board and got a kick out of that, right? You know, in terms of coming up with these disturbing um, characters that we could put in there and try to make them, <laughs> you know, give them their own crazy, unique moves and finishing moves. And again, it was like, it was the directive to some degree because that was the theme of the game is that we were going to create right. this like dark kind of like set in hell, if you will. If you could imagine, like if, if, if you believe in hell, like this is what you're going to end up here and you're going to be in one, thrown into one of these arenas with these crazier characters that have done malicious things throughout their life on earth. And so how do we do that? Right. But again, when we're, when we're, you know, when we first have that 3d engine and we're, you know, uh, carrying it over from earth monsters, you know, we're putting these four players on screen, which we already had four players moving around on screen for that, for that game, Earth Monsters, because it was a two-on-two sport game. So we, we just modified it, you know, had to do some, you know, manipulation where you could, you know, obviously quickly focus on the closest player that you were, you were near. And really, you know, the design, we had a main, we had a main designer, Ben Kutcher, the kind of core of the team was, uh, Programmer Pete Jeffries, uh, artist Paul Entrante, another another programmer James Gintu. We were all designing. Like it wasn't just like, hey, designer, go design. We we were all every day kind of figuring out like, hey, what can we do to make this better? Ben was brilliant on like just you know he was that Street Fighter guy that knew exactly what move from every character worked against what move from every character, uh, you know, every other character in Street Fighter. I mean. It's, it was amazing to watch play that because you're just like, I, okay, never going to challenge you in that game. But <laughs> for us, it was, again, day one, let's make the best fighting game we possibly can. Four player. It's the first four player fighting game. Not that that's still like a, a, a relevant genre, but it was the first time that anyone had attempted it and we wanted to do it right. It's just the content was also hanging there, you know, for us to play with the whole time. So yeah, we definitely, we definitely played it. I was thinking because the whole game, when you talk about the four-player fight, it just screamed boundary pushing. Because you hadn't seen a 3D fighting game, you haven't seen four four people like a four-person fighting game, and then you definitely didn't see a game that had that tone of the the, the adult tone. And so, it just that's as a as a teenager, just seeing that was just so cool because you hadn't seen anything like that in, in a game. So I could see why there was a lot of hype around it. I mean, I'm sure the yeah. violence and the tone of it sort of like kind of steamrolled that, but. I mean, the, even after even after seeing the finished product, like, personally, like I haven't played it because I could probably download. I'm sure there's a, there's a ROM somewhere of it and, and emulate it, but I've watched enough videos on it, and you could see that the the dedication and the passion that was put into the game, the thoughts that went behind all these characters, you can see the attention to detail come out into the game. So that's like you can. I feel like you can see that stuff in in games when people actually try to do something and do it well, you can see that yeah. that was done with, with the finished product. I know we I, we didn't really set a time. I, I, I think I said 15 and I said 30, so I don't know sure if you're... You got me till five my time, so eight your time if you want me. Otherwise... Okay, okay, great. That's perfect. I think we'll be yeah. done before that because we only have like four questions left. But this is great. I okay. love just talking about... I could talk about this stuff all day with people. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> um, Josh, I appreciate so, you guys wanting to talk to me. You know, what's that? <laughs> I said I appreciate that you even want to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> No, like I said, I think th- this stuff is super interesting, and I want to say I'm a historian, but I feel like this is a important thing that happened in video game history because yeah. of everything that happened—the boundary pushing to the cancellation. But, anyways, Josh, I'll let yeah, you get yeah. to your next so, question. So, 
I already was going to ask this question when I heard that you were coming on because I was just curious about it. What kind of references were used as inspiration for your design and when it comes to the game's aesthetic, right? Because I had heard that somebody had came into a, re- a meeting room and just slapped a bunch of S&M magazines on the table <laughs> and went, here, this is what we need to look at in order to get some inspiration. Oh, the internet. Well, I mean... <laughs> I'd, I'd like to, uh, well, I don't know. I guess I'll let you continue believing that. But, <laughs> okay. uh, I don't have a clear, I don't have a clear memory of that ever happening. If, if I'm being honest, like Mortal Kombat obviously was pushing boundaries already for how violent, you know, the kind mm-hmm. of, especially the death moves we're getting. For us, we all, you know, liked that game. And we, we also liked, you know, horror, horror films and just the whole genre as a complete package was appealing to us. The characters, the characters and the vision, I mean, I just feel like it was just like, hey, let's just think of disturbing things and go from there. Like you talk about um, Judas, you know, it's, you know, two torsos sewn together and no one at the time. I mean, I kind of was even like when, you know, concept artists like drew it up for the first time. I was like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) wait, so we're getting rid of legs and and he's going to walk around on his other hands, like, and then flip over and do, I mean, and it was just like, anyway, I, I'm getting, I'm getting off track again, but <laughs> honestly, like there wasn't a, there wasn't a clear set of like, okay, these three things, merge them together, go. And again, like in terms of this, the sexuality aspect of it and the, the SNM magazines and stuff like that, that was not, that really wasn't a focus. I, I, I don't want to disappoint anyone, but. Oh, no, uh, you're not, you're not. I'm glad that it's been cleared up. Cause I okay. was like, that's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there was, I, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure there was jokes all all around about it, and uh, obviously Belladonna has some some very suggestive moves that she did. But ultimately, that wasn't that wasn't the thing. And I was very very much into uh, industrial music back in that uh, time period. And even like, I'm not gonna say that's where it came from, but my life with the Thrill Kill Cult was was one of one of those bands. And the imagery that we ultimately went with for the branding was designed by the same artist that did like all the skinny puppy album covers and all that. So there was, there was a lot of that getting pulled in. The, the music was done by um, this, this guy named Keith Aram that worked at Virgin Interactive at the time. And he actually had an industrial band on the side um, named Contagion. Oh, how lucky. Oh my God. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and it's, but the weird thing was, is I actually had listened to his, albums before ever meeting him like and it was like oh wow <laughs> I'm like whoa like i'm like you're like you're one of the like bands that i listen to and he's like yeah that's awesome so he actually created all the music for it and when it got canceled he he basically it was his stuff like so he modified them all and actually released a contagion album like with you can actually oh. hear the same tracks in the same kind of elements from these tracks uh, throughout so anyway for me that was a big angle is like kind of pushing that because uh, skinny puppy was always on the cutting edge of being uh very dark and theatrical about like you know that horror genre and and uh, tying it into their music and I, that, that I, w- I was pushing that from my side so right uh, i'm pretty sure that that must have been such a trip to like oh this guy's working on the music for the game I'm sorry, who's working on the music for the game? <laughs> right, right, right. The guy yeah. that I've, I'm pretty sure I've wanted to meet for a while. I get to meet him tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a very talented guy. And uh, I actually handed him, it's funny because I handed him some reference um, music that, you know, I was like, hey, you know, the team really likes these pieces, uh, mm-hmm. these industrial pieces. And I'm like, can you, 
can you do something that's more in line with this? And he was like, oh, he's like, I love these tracks. And like, so it was like, it was like a very cool melding of, of, of our styles that we would, that we wanted to hear. So that's that awesome, out. man. So that, that kind of leads into my, my question here. Like you have, everything seems like it's good. It's going so well. You're, you guys are doing something mm-hmm. so cool. And so basically if you talk a little bit and the reason why I find this interesting, I already mentioned Ralph Fulop because Night Trap originally wasn't supposed to release. It was supposed to be on like this Hasbro console, and like it was like years before it released on Sega CD. And I asked him about it because they put a lot of work into that game because it was so different. And he was like, "Meh, meh, whatever. No, lots of my stuff, you know, gets canceled." Like he was very nonchalant about it. But when I messaged you on LinkedIn, I could definitely feel that there was some passion behind that and some some feelings about it. And so I'm kind of curious. Well, one, what happened with the release? And kind of like, how did your team find out about it? And then basically, what were your thoughts once you found out? How were you feeling? Sure, yeah. So, unfortunately, that's the worst part of this whole story, is the the finding out about it, how it happened, how it came to be. Um, Basically, we completed the game, uh, submitted it to Sony, and within that first week, usually the submissions back then would take a few weeks. You know, they would, you know, they would ping you back and say like, oh, we're, you know, we're finding some possible showstopper bugs here. Like you need to start working on these. And so you'd be, you'd be, you know, you'd be constantly testing the game and continuing to fix problems with, with that chance that they were going to kick it back and say, nope, resubmit it and fix these things. It, within that first week, we found out the same time that everyone else did, that the game was canceled. What happened was, so we didn't get any like phone call before the press release, there was nothing. Uh, what happened is uh, EA had been in talks with purchasing Virgin Interactive's catalog at the time. And there were several games that, you know, obviously were currently under development, but also, you know, they wanted to, you know, grab the catalog, Command and Conquer, and, you know, specifically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there was also at that, I know you mentioned it before, Peter, there was, there was like a, something happening in the whole climate and you know i was too young to be really tracking what was happening politically in in our country but there was definitely a movement that was saying like video games are bad we have to do something because video games are bad and and, uh we got caught up in that uh really you're talking about one of the biggest if not the biggest at the time publishers obtaining a catalog for other reasons and having a product that very much so went against what <laughs> the opposite direction of what everything was was leading to at that time is yeah. like, let's just make everything very wholesome and friendly for everyone and so i think that just the people at the top making the decisions and you know this is an assumption i don't i never got to talk to anyone or find out the real story but i think it was just it was politically motivated to appease the gods at the time and say look we hear you, we agree, we're going to shelve this game because it's just not got the content that is appropriate for the mass audience. You know, and I'm not going to say I, I disagree with their decision. They are welcome to not want to do, you know, that sort of content and publish it. The bigger problem with the whole situation was they, they were refusing to sell it. So mm. it was, in my opinion, that made mm. it more politically driven than just a a corporate decision of like this doesn't fit our catalog but there was other publishers that very much so wanted to take it off their hands and publish it and they they refused to do so so that was very disappointing for us because it was like well obviously we were disappointed that the game was never going to see the light of day it was kind of like it was a slap in the face we were a pawn if you will ultimately it 
it did inspire us to make you know Wu-Tang Clan as, as good as we could possibly make it. Obviously different content, not quite as violent, but urban mm-hmm. and, and uh, raw. And, and we got to play around uh, as well on that. But yeah, unfortunately, it's just it's just one of those things like, uh, you know, if we went, if it came out today, it probably would just be like, oh, yeah, it's another game, which is 100%. kind of funny if you think about it. Like, it, it's just we've been so accustomed to violence and sexuality and just being OK with it as being presented as an art form and not right. kind of uh, like freaking out and <laughs> thinking that our kids are going to be like their minds are going to melt the next day. But uh, well, it reminds yeah. me of sort of like Custer's Revenge right? It was Custer's Revenge on Atari. It's like, if you look back on it now, like graphically, I mean, yeah, it's pixelated, you know, it's like polygonal. Mm-hmm. It's like really nothing compared to what, what's cap- what we're capable of doing now. And it just, I, I have my feelings about violent video games. I didn't know that they refused to sell it. That I could see. Well, that some- wasn't going to get out. Yeah. That wasn't going to get out. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, and I, you know, and it's not new. It, it, I'm, I'm not revealing some big thing to you guys for the first time. I mean, people, right. people on Virgin side made it very well known. And, and ultimately, you know, everyone always, uh, and this may be on your list of questions, but everyone always accused us of being the leakers of the ROM. <laughs> but we, we didn't. I mean, because we still, you know, we're, we're still the small developer. We're no, we're no one, if you will. Mm. And we haven't made a name for ourselves yet. And, it, you know, for us to kind of do that, to jeopardize any credibility by releasing that and breaking, you know, <laughs> you know, these rights that are owned now by electronic arts, that, that would have been, that just wouldn't not have been the right choice for us to make. So somewhere, someone other than the team at Paradox released this wrong. And uh, I think it just goes to show you that there were other people that were on board with like, this is ridiculous. You're not going to sell it. We're going to make sure people get to play it if they want to play. It's art. It's art. <laughs> yeah, and it might not be for everyone. And honestly, we were, we had the, you know, when we were in submission with Sony, we had the, uh, I think we're the first one ever to have the, I forget what it was, it M-A? A-O. Oh, yeah. It was A-O, adult A-O. Which is still, it still just blows my mind that he gave it A-O rating just looking back on it. I don't know. That's just like, because it's, I don't know. But here's the thing. The ESRB came back to us and said, change these things and we'll make it mature. And I don't remember what the items were Mm. that'll escape me. I don't have it on record anywhere, but (laughs) it was funny because it wasn't the items you would have thought. So it was, you know, there was definitely some sexual movements by Belladonna that got us in trouble and uh, a couple other violent, you know, things like they wanted us to remove blood from certain kills, if you will. So weird. But we ultimately had the M, the, the, sorry, the M rating. So we would have been able to be sold in stores. Like that was the real big thing is AO, we wouldn't have been able to get into your uh, circuit cities at the time. And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's circuit city. Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, it, it's really funny you mentioned because I remember, I don't know if you remember Grand Theft Auto San Andreas had a code in the game you could unlock with like Surfshark or something. And I was working at GameStop when this came to fruition. It allowed a sex mini game, no nudity. You just did the movements, right? And okay. they slapped an AO rating on it, and we pulled them off the shelves because After. it wasn't even. You couldn't even get it into the game. You had to buy something separate to like hack it and get into it to unlock it. And they pulled it off. We pulled it off the shelves. Like we were like, no, we cannot sell this. It's AO. It's just really. Someone mentioned it to me. It's really funny how 
we <laughs> as a society go crazy over sexual content but when it comes to murder and you know and violence we're like oh it's okay you know it's not that big yeah, of a deal. It's fine. It's fine. yeah it's really weird but even even so, that even that though when it comes to the content of thrill kill as groundbreaking and as appearance defying as it was for the time realistically it seems compared to what we see now in video games it seems fairly tame well that's that's and that goes back to my point i made earlier is that if this if thrill kill came out today it it would be judged based on its playability and and nothing more right we wouldn't get we probably wouldn't get as much we would have still tried to make the best game possible but i don't think you would have right. got as much coverage based on like oh the content, the content. <laughs> right. it would have been like oh hey there's there's this violent four-player game coming out and it's really cool to play versus like oh they're they're making some crazy things here so <laughs> yeah well um, <laughs> I mean, it's like content, right? Because Night Trap wasn't a great game, but it, it was like right. no one even knew what it was. Congress was looking at it. They had a hearing on it, and boom, it became like this overnight sensation. I, I was going to say, I only bought Night Trap because there was a controversy. <laughs> and it was like, finally like the most tamest game you could probably play right, right. now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to buy it before they take it off the shelves. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, leading into the next thing. So when it comes to your experience working on Thrill Kill, how did that help you moving forward and, and working on other titles? And not just, I mean, your overall experience, you know, like when it comes to managing people and, and, and dealing with s- certain situations. Well, I think the biggest thing, I mean, for me personally, I think it definitely changed the way I looked at not taking anything for granted. Like I, I knew that every, every, every day I was going to work my butt off and do my best at the end of the day, there may be nothing to show for it, and that's okay. Like that's okay. However, I had to make sure that if there was something to show for it, it was the best thing that I could present. And I think that the Paradox team at the time, I think we were all on the same page. There was there was this moment of like, do we give up, throw our hands up in the air, and move on, and each go our individual ways to different companies? We could have got jobs easily anywhere else because of Thrill Kill. It was known enough. That it was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm sure if I send my resume over there, they'll they'll give me a job offer. But we we really were like all kind of like, no, we have to stick together. We have to see this through. And Wu Tang was obviously not my personal first choice for a license, and I'm not disparaging it at all. But like uh, I just it wasn't it wasn't my like thing. I really got to know more than I ever thought I would ever know about the Wu Tang Clan, and and ultimately deliver a product that I was proud of because we stuck together and 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 made sure that we we saw it out the door. So really, Wu-Tang Clan is the spiritual brother of Thrill Kill that ultimately got released and people could buy with their own money off the shelf <laughs> and not download ROM and burn it. Uh, you know, I'm proud I'm proud that I stuck around. Like I did I did have, you know, the opportunity um, to <laughs> I shouldn't even admit this, but uh, at the time, <laughs> I love sentences to start that way. <laughs> uh, well, Joel Jewett at Neversoft, who I knew from Malibu Interactive, he called me up right after Thrill Kill was canceled, and he said, "Hey, I got a job for you. Come on over. Uh, we got we got Bruce Willis over here sco- scooting around on a skateboard, and I think we're going to make a skateboarding game." And, and I was like, "Nah, no, I need to see this through. I need to see Thrill Kill through." And, in the in the meantime, that that next year goes by, and you know we're releasing Wu Tang Clan, and Tony Hawk Pro Skater One is coming out, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god! Uh, but anyway, no, not, not the, to, the greatest not to, skateboarding game of all time, <laughs> right, right, right? But but then that 
the second phone call came after Wu-Tang was completed and I'm like, yep, I'll be over there. <laughs> uh, but I got yeah. to go, I got to go work on Spider-Man. I mean, that yeah. was like, it's dope. So anyway. Yeah. I wanted to throw some shout outs to the other games that you worked on. You worked on the, the yeah. never saw Spider-Man game that came out on PlayStation. And then the, I couldn't find specifically what Tony, I know you worked on Tony Hawk's underground, but I wasn't sure if it was three and four. So what happened, I'll re- real quick summarize that. I, yeah. I did Spider-Man at the same time that the Tony Hawk's team was um, obviously finishing Tony Hawk 1 and doing Tony Hawk 2. Uh, Tony Hawk 2 and Spider-Man came out relatively at the same time, that fall of uh, 2000, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was 2000. That sounds right. right. Yeah, yeah. And then after those two, team, or two, two games were done, we merged together all of the talent at Neversoft and worked on Tony Hawk's uh, Pro Skater 3. So I was on three, four, Underground, Underground 2, American Wasteland. Uh, I helped design Proving Grounds while another team was working on Project 8. So I I skipped 8. I was working on 9 during 8. And then after 9, I went into the operational side of Neversoft and basically, you know, was around for all of the uh, Guitar Hero and Band Hero uh, versions that came out. Ah uh, so, yes, that's rock, uh, so rock big, band. Man, you you're like not. I was like I'm like the one of the four people that didn't play Tony Hawk growing up. So like <laughs> like, like there's like four people that didn't play it. That was me. I was one of the four people that just didn't get into Tony Hawk. But yeah, no, rock, fair enough. Yeah, rock band guitar hero. Man, I got that's probably why I got carpal tunnel to this day. Yep. Is from playing guitar hero. <laughs> Long days band, after so. school on rock band. Yeah. My wife and <laughs> I used to play rock band together. Like that was like a thing that we did. So that's that's really cool. I know we're coming up on time here. That was actually the last question that we have. All the stuff you talked about was just awesome. I can't say thank you enough. I think it's really cool of you to come on here and talk about Thrill Kill and your experiences on there. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. I'll, I'll send you the link in, in LinkedIn. And so yeah. if you want to listen to it or share it or whatever, awesome. Oh, for sure. I would love to, uh, I'd love to hear it. And my uh, buddy of mine that I work with, I've known him for 25 years, but I work with him now. We do, uh, it's boring as all hell. It's commercial <laughs> real estate development. That's what I do now. That's the uh, next episode. Stay, come back next week where we talk yeah, about real estate yeah. development. With. <laughs> uh, but he was like, he was like, I told him, I'm like, dude, I got to cut out today because I got a four o'clock interview. I'm, I'm doing this podcast. Uh, I'm talking about my time on Thrill Kill, and he's like, oh, that's so cool, man. Because like, he, just, you know, he was he was around the whole time, like that I was doing video games, and he was working on Wall Street doing mm. his corporate real estate. So yeah. Uh, anyway. He well, went out. I end up working. I end up working with him instead of him working with me in video. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, again, thank you so much. This was awesome. This was so yeah, much fun, Kevin. Yeah, absolutely, it's one hundred percent a pleasure to meet you. I'm yeah. never got a chance to play Thrill Kill myself, nor was I aware enough at the time <laughs> for the for my age to what was going on. Right. Well, but um, I can definitely appreciate things that you went through in terms of understanding how things are now and having a, a grasp ma- now as an adult on how things were back then. So like I said, it's an honor to meet you. I- I'm just thrilled that I get to an opportunity to talk to a person like you. People listen, like you, like Peter said, you guys are super interesting. OGs of the gaming <laughs> industry struggle. You know, you guys are you guys I'm like are that awesome. middle. I'm like that middle generation. <laughs> <laughs> Can't throw me into the OG guys. But uh, yeah, listen, like I told my kid, like going back now and playing the games that really uh, meant a lot to me, it's going to, it's going to feel like nothing to him. Right. The games today are just so over the top, crazy, amazing. I mean, I love, I play every day with him. You know, we have a half hour time that I get to play with him and it's all switch games, you know, but yeah, yeah. 
Mario. Every time I <laughs> attempted to go like, hey, do you want to want to try the original Zelda? And then I'm like, oh yeah, he's bored within seconds. So it's too uh, hard. It's too hard. Like, well, you played Breath of the Wild, so you really <laughs> under that. <laughs> anyway. So but no, awesome. thank you. Thank you so much, guys. I, I do appreciate that you even, you know, give me a, a, a voice here and uh uh, I will definitely check out the episode and uh, uh, subscribe to your your podcast. Awesome! Yeah, great. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank so, you. Yeah. Right well, you have a wonderful evening. <laughs> and I'm sorry if we took up more time than we. No, supposed. no, no. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, okay. Good. Time. Awesome. <laughs> is my video game time with my kids. So there you go. Yes. Okay. There nice. You go. nice. On time. <laughs> One nerd thing to the other. <laughs> All right. Take care, guys. Thank yes. you again. You too. Thank have you. a good night. Bye. Awesome, man. Awesome. That was amazing. Right? He was so fun to talk to. Yeah, yeah. He's just so amicable. Yeah, nice, nice dude. Very nice guy. I mean, I feel like if I worked, you know, during that time and did some really cool shit, I would want to talk about it, you know. And so, yeah, give him a chance to sort of like he said, a platform to talk about this. Man, it's like what a time to be in the industry around that time when 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 there was so much scrutiny on violence. I mean, it's really Mortal Kombat's fault. But Doom uh, <laughs> too, man. Doom, Doom was huge because Columbine. Remember, because that's what they did. They did, they, uh, they, they did mods the, and they played, they played Doom. Doom. Yeah, he actually created mods. the school in a mod, and like that's why I didn't want to bring that up because it's such a morbid thought. But that was right around the time yeah. ninety nine, two thousand. Like I want to say ninety nine was Columbine, and so like yeah. something like that. This probably he was just, was just a you know a perfect storm for him though. But I was yeah. so glad I wanted to do a docu style episode, but I liked the conversational style with this guy. This was this was great. Kevin was awesome. So, Kevin, if you're listening, you were awesome. Absolutely, 100. percent Yeah, man, dude, it's always great when we can do these. I feel like when we talk to people and then we get done, we're just sort of like, whoa, like yeah, Keanu Reeves, whoa, that's awesome, <laughs> <laughs> whoa. But yeah, it's so cool to get the insights and stuff like that to happen. And, and yeah. man, I feel for him. He, I think he spent three years working on that. And then for them to not, I didn't even realize this. I'm sure this is sort of common knowledge, but for them to say, no, we're not even going to sell this. That's kind of fucked up, man. Like, that's yeah. Like up. They, they, oh, we bought the IP so that we can't put it, put it out so that we can also not sell it because we're trying to make a statement. How shitty. Yeah. Yeah. EA strikes. EA was a terrible company back then. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they sucked back then they suck now i mean but. it's i don't know it's just like it's a perceived level of toxicity i guess to me like why are you why are you blocking someone's art over something that's not even scientifically proven it's just some some people that were like ah! it's like the same thing that happened with D back in the day they thought that kids were getting together and summoning demons like that when shit wasn't the case people are literally relieving stress playing this game and you're you're, you're bashing it he mentioned it and there's definitely some political stuff going around in the background. Someone probably who worked high up in, in EA probably was like, no, I don't want this this game to see the light of day, you know, sort of thing. But but yeah, I mean, man, just a great, great story. Great interview to hear all these things that went on in the background. I love I live for this shit, man. Like, I'll, I'll sit there. You like, oh, like, you made Pong. Like I, I, I literally read like I was reading the book and they talked about the making of Pong. And I was like. Like glued to it. Like <laughs> this is the greatest yeah. thing ever. So I love backstories. I love you know things and how people find their way through life and into especially the gaming. So Josh, man, this is always fun to do with you. Absolutely. Every time we get done with these interviews, it's just man, so great. It's so awesome. It's so much Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Yeah, man. All right. Well, hey, another one. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> uh, uh, we uh, shit. We didn't make a Metal Gear reference. Uh, <laughs> 
Metal Gear was on Wait. PlayStation. Boom. Same well, console as Drew well, well. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, me make me saying we didn't make a Metal Gear reference is a Metal Gear reference. And now we've been talking about it for over 40 seconds. So there you go. It's in the pot. Um, <laughs> Peter, again, it's always a pleasure to, if you're listening, check out the episodes <laughs> that we've done in the past. They're all good. And don't be shitty. <laughs> Adios, man. <laughs>